Today, when we think of pirates, we think of a very romanticized version of these myths and legends and larger-than-life captains like Jack Sparrow and Blackbeard. We think of buried treasure in the Caribbean islands. We think of a bygone era. What we don't think about is the founding of America. We don't think about privateering and piracy happening along the East Coast from Canada to Cuba. And piracy had been happening for hundreds of years, but its golden age was the peak between 1650 and 1730. And while the tales of Blackbeard and Captain Kidd have been exaggerated, and we have painted them as Robin Hood type figures, they caused very real problems for not only the Spanish, the French, but also the English colonies in North America. In this episode, we are going to explore the golden age of piracy, how it impacted the Americans, what colonial governments did about pirates, and who were some of the pirates that carved out a reputation that has lasted throughout the centuries. Now, for piracy to thrive, the conditions need to be just right. First, there must be a large number of able-bodied young men, ideally sailors out of a job, and anxious for some work. Ships carrying either affluent people or priceless goods must be traveling in the adjacent maritime and trade channels. There must be minimal or no government law enforcement, and weapons and ships must be readily available. Piracy may become frequent if these circumstances are satisfied, as they were in the 1700s, and as we still see in places like Somalia today. The other important aspect that led to piracy was colonial expansion. As new colonies were formed, these colonists were facing a number of problems. For starters, they tended to have small populations, which made defending their outposts difficult. Second, the colonies, when they were first established, oftentimes had issues dealing with the native tribes in the area, and whatever was happening out in the ocean was kind of left on the back burner. And third, colonial groups often had few resources to sustain or manage their people. These were not places where governments and institutions were established, at least not yet. Because of the absence of these institutions, governance and the vital political atmosphere, it was incredibly simple to be a pirate because persecuting pirates was very difficult in many circumstances. Now, the War of Spanish Secession was resolved in 1713 and 1714 by a series of peace agreements. As a result, though, thousands of sailors, notably European privateers operating in the West Indies, were released of military duty at a period 
when the transatlantic colonial maritime traffic was booming. Furthermore, European sailors who had been forced to serve on merchant ships were frequently eager to forsake that profession and turn to piracy, providing pirate leaders with a continual pool of recruitments in various ports. The age of piracy in the Bahamas hit its peak in 1696, when privateer Henry Avery arrived in Nassau Harbor with his ship, the Fancy, filled with riches from raiding Indian trade ships. Avery bribed the governor, Nicholas Trott, with money and silver, as well as his own boat, the Fancy, which still carried 50 tons of elephant tusks and 100 barrels of gunpowder. This established Nassau as a safe haven for pirates, ignoring the fact that the governors were still officially in command of Nassau as the pirates grew in power there. And in 1703, the French and Spanish fleet attacked Nassau. This attack caused Nassau to basically become abandoned by many of its settlers, and it was left without any government presence by the English. Nassau was soon taken by English privateers who eventually became entirely lawless pirates. The pirates assaulted French and Spanish ships, while French and Spanish armies repeatedly burned Nassau. Pirates settled in Nassau, establishing their own country with their own governor, called the Republic of Pirates. Nassau would remain the home of these pirates and their numerous recruits until the arrival of Governor Woods Rogers in 1718, when the Republic of Pirates came to an end. Queen Anne had died, and a new king, King George I, had taken the throne. Piracy was a problem, and his way of fixing it was to issue the King's Act of Grace. The act promised a royal pardon for acts of piracy committed before January of 1718. This gave Rogers and other British governors the ability to pardon pirates. Although famed pirates like Benjamin Hornigold accepted this pardon to become a privateer, others like his protege, Edward Thatch, or Blackbeard, were reluctant to end their pirating ways. Emerging in Jamaica in 1717, Blackbeard created an incredibly successful career as a pirate in just 18 months. He forged an unforgettable image as the fiercest pirate of them all and became a global legend. Blackbeard, a towering and dominating figure with a volatile and captivating personality, developed a reputation as the devil incarnate. By storming ships while brandishing multiple weapons and being enveloped in smoke from burning tapers in his beard and hair, during Queen Anne's War, he, like other pirates of the time, began his career as a privateer. But in the summer of 1717, Blackbeard set sail with Hornigold around the North American coast from the Carolinas all the way up to Delaware Bay. In the autumn, Blackbeard led Steed Bonnet's ship, Revenge, on another rampage around the same coast, capturing up to 11 vessels. Steed was also known as the Gentleman Pirate. Bonnet embarked on a life of crime relatively late in life, reportedly in order to escape his nagging wife. 
In November, while cruising the Leeward Islands, Blackbeard stole the French ship Concord, armed it to the teeth, and renamed it Queen Anne's Revenge. Blackbeard terrorized the Caribbean aboard Revenge and Queen Anne's Revenge. Steed and Blackbeard had split off for the winter, but they were rejoined by coincidence in March of 1718 off the Central American Spanish Main. Blackbeard now proceeded north to the Carolinas with a four-ship armada with at least 60 cannons. When he arrived off the coast of Charleston, South Carolina in midday, he blockaded the harbor for a week, taking prizes and holding captives for ransom. This legendary deed created tremendous terror throughout the province of Carolina. Blackbeard kept prisoners, including councilmen and other politicians, while plundering eight or nine ships for provisions and money. Facing the prospect of being murdered, Governor Robert Johnson reluctantly considered to a ransom of a costly chest of medicine. From Charleston, Blackbeard traveled to a remote part of North Carolina, where his two ships, the Queen Anne's Revenge and the ship called Adventure, were shipwrecked in June near Beaufort Inlet. There, he accepted Governor Charles Eden's royal pardon, married in Bath, and reduced his unlawful activities. Blackbeard established an encampment at Ocracoke Inlet, the colony's main entrance, and appeared to have retired from piracy. But, uncomfortable with the presence of a legendary pirate nearby, the governor of Virginia, Alexander Spotswood, actually invaded North Carolina with a naval and land force. Lieutenant Robert Maynard's fleet cornered and killed Blackbeard on November 22, 1718, near Ocracoke. His surviving men were tried, and the pirates who were found guilty were hanged at Williamsburg, Virginia. Piracy was dangerous, cruel, and it was a hard way of life. It was also not just a profession set aside for men. Women could be just as cunning, ruthless, and cruel as their male counterparts. Between 1718 and 1720, Anne Bonny was an Irish pirate and privateer who fought under the leadership of Calico Jack Rackham. She was one of Rackham's most fearsome pirates, along with fellow female pirate Mary Reed, and was equally adept at drinking, swearing, and fighting. Later, captive sailors would claim that when their ships were captured by pirates, it was the two ladies who encouraged their crewmates to commit even more carnage and mayhem. At one point, one of the pirates made the mistake of expressing his feelings about Bonnie's presence on the ship. According to legend, she challenged him to a fight, stabbed him in the heart, and threw his body overboard. Rackham, Bonnie, Reed, and their crew had become notorious in the Caribbean by October 1720, and Governor Woods Rogers ordered privateers to seek and capture them, as well as other pirates for bounty. When a heavily armed frigate belonging to Captain Jonathan Barnett came up to Rackham's ship while the pirates were drinking, they surrendered after a brief exchange of cannon and small arms fire. Only Anne and Mary actually struggled against Barnett's men when the capture was close, screaming at their crewmates to come out from under the deck and fight. 
Rackham, Bonnie, and Reed's trial created quite a stir. Rackham and the other male pirates were quickly found guilty, and he was hung alongside four other men on November 18, 1720 at Gallows Point in Port Royal. He was reportedly permitted to see Bonnie before his execution, and she told him, I'm sorry to see you here, but if you had fought like a man, you would not have been hung like a dog. On November 28th, Bonnie and Reed were both found guilty and condemned to death by hanging. Both, though, announced that they were pregnant, and the execution was postponed because it was discovered that the ladies were both pregnant. Mary Reed would die in prison after just five months. What happened to Anne Bonnie, though, is a mystery. Like her early life, her later life is lost in shadow. Captain Jonathan Barnett would write a book about piracy in 1724. So her trial was fairly recent news when he was writing of it. He wrote, she was continued in prison to the time of her lying and afterward reprieved from time to time. But what has become of her since we cannot tell. Only this we know, that she was not executed. So what became of Anne Bonny? There are several accounts of her fate and no absolutely conclusive evidence in favor of any of them. According to some, she reconnected with her rich father and returned to Charleston, South Carolina, where she remarried and lived a respectable life until her 80s. Others claim she remarried at Port Royal or Nassau and had numerous children with her new husband. Comment below and tell me what you think might have happened to Anne Bonny. Did she escape? Was she executed? By 1720, though, piracy was obviously on the decline. The Golden Age lasted only a decade. The events of the second half of 1718 mark a watershed moment in the history of piracy in the New World. The rovers lost steam as they lacked a safe base and faced increasing pressure from European naval forces. The allure of the Spanish jewels had worn off and the hunters had become the hunted. When the colonies began developing stronger institutions of justice and government, more citizens became determined to put a stop to piracy. Even the pirates who had survived the hangman's noose often settled down on plantations or worked as honest merchants, the exact people they had once terrorized. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I am so excited to continue moving this podcast forward. Next week, we are going to talk about the settlement of the last English colony, the colony of Georgia. And I'm really excited about that one. Oglethorpe was a visionary man and made incredible strides and had a very unique approach to settling the colony of Georgia. If you are watching on YouTube, please don't forget to subscribe to this channel and click that bell so that you'll be notified whenever we go live or whenever I post a new video. Also, please help this video in the algorithm and give it a thumbs up. For show notes and citations, please visit my website at www.historicalus.com. Also, don't forget to follow me on other social media platforms.